I'm excited to uh, begin week one of a series we're calling Better Together. Simply, it's all centered around this simple premise that, that our lives um, will never get better if our relationships don't get better. So maybe the relationships in your life are a marriage relationship or a dating relationship or, or co workers or friends or family. I want you, to, want you to know that God wants all of us to grow and have relationships that, that, that can bless our lives and that we can bless and that, so that we can make a difference in our relationships. You know, this, this, as we talk about this over the next few weeks, you know, there's probably nothing in your life that's hurt you more than people, right? People, you got to love them. You know, people can bless our lives and people can hurt our lives. And I just want to say this, as we're talking about relationships, we're going to be looking over the next few weeks about marriage, we're going to be looking about dating, we're going to be looking at uh, sex, we're going to be looking at all kinds of different things that regard relationships in our lives from, from the Bible and see what God's Word says about that. But I just want to say this, that regardless of how it's been in the past, today's a brand new day. Today is a fresh opportunity to start where you are and allow God to, to add some, 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 some new things in your life in regard to relationships. Because that's what he wants to do. He's changing the world through our relationships. And, and so today we're really going to talk about a big overview of that. And how to have better friendships in our lives. You know, when God created the world, everything that he created, he said, was good. He created the trees, it was good. He created the dry land, it was good. Everything that he created, he said it was good. Until we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and it's there in your notes. And here's what God says. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And every wife said, amen. You guys know it's not good for men to be alone. You know, whenever I uh, come home after a hard day, usually, you know, there's like a sweet-smelling aroma, you know, from something nice that's being cooked, and the kids have been bathed, and, you know, everything's kind of right with the world. And that's a very different than whenever I leave, I mean, when my wife leaves and I have the kids alone, you know? It's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> whenever my wife leaves, I'm like, you better pray over these kids because... If they're alive, when you get back, it's going to be a miracle, you know, so it's not good for man to be alone. He knew that we uh, needed a helper. He knew I needed a helper. He said, so I will make a helper who is just right for him. So he created a woman, and whenever uh, Adam saw it, he said, what you think? And he said, whoa, man. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. It's not even funny. <laughs> That's dad humor right there. <laughs> But I don't know, I don't know uh, uh, where you are. We're going to talk a lot about the man and wife and relationships and dating and marriage um, coming up. But really, today what we're going to talk about is, is um, kind of an overarching view of our relationships. And how our relationships will never get better until we go from it being all about me to realizing it's not about me. It's about we. It's about something bigger than just me. So I hope you want to grow. Are you excited about this? Are you excited about kicking off talking about relationships? If, if you are, just simply say this. Say, I'm excited. I'm alert. I'm open. Change me, God. In Jesus' name. Awesome. Well, I want to turn to Mark chapter 6 and verse 35. And, and Mark chapter 6 is, is an exciting book and chapter of the Bible. Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples, two by two, to do ministry. They are 
they're, they're, they're operating with a sense of calling and destiny and they go out two by two and the Bible says they heal a bunch of people and a bunch of demons get cast out. They have a successful ministry trip and they're wore out, they're tired, they come back to Jesus. And in the meantime, while they're on this trip, Jesus finds out his cousin, John the Baptist, is dead. And um, so it's, it's this, this chapter filled with kind of busyness, like they are coming back, they're busy from this ministry trip and at the same time Jesus uh, is, is emotion, you know, there's an emotional toll that's happening in his life too because his family, a family member of his, has, has died. And, and so the disciples come back to Jesus and they're, they're, they're ready to rest. They're ready to take a break. They're ready to chill out. They're ready to get some food. And so they go with Jesus across the lake, ready to go to a quiet place to rest. And what do you know? All these people start coming to Jesus. And they all want to be taught and they all want some help. And so what does Jesus do? He has compassion on the people. Don't you love that about him? He has compassion on the people. That, that maybe, I don't know if you're a churchy type person or if you're used to that. I want you to know that, that, that Jesus has brought you here today to bless you. He has compassion on each one of us. And, but Jesus not only had compassion, he, he, he could preach. So he was preaching a long time. He, he was preaching longer than I'm going to preach to you today. And I'm hopefully you're thankful. But he was preaching all day, the Bible said, and he, the people get tired and wore out. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 6, it picks up, and it says this. It says, by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and by themselves... Something to eat. So they're thinking of it naturally. Hey, it's late. Let's get something, you know, let's take care of it, Jesus. Send him away. And uh, verse 37, it says, but Jesus answered. But he answered and said, what did he say? You give them something to eat. Jesus, in this discourse, what we're about to discover is he's about to turn the disciples' mentality on their head in regard to relationships. In regard to the impossibility in their life, he's going to challenge the way that they were thinking, and he's going to make them think completely different in regard to relationships. And I think in this, if we will pick up what God's word is saying to us, I really think it has the power to change everything if we'll think differently in the area of our relationships. So here's the first thing. It's in your notes. The first mindset shift that Jesus was trying to make happen in the disciples' lives is this. Number one, to go from observation to participation. I love this about Jesus. You know, he, I want to remind you, he was God, right? He could have just said, boom, here's, you know, fish and chips for everybody. You know, boom, here's Papa John's pizza delivered fresh. You know, he could have done anything in that moment. But he chose to get the disciples involved in the process. Isn't this leadership like at the highest level? Jesus had all power to do it, but, but he instead chooses to inspire the disciples to let them know that your role is not just to observe the problems around you. Your, your job's not just to say and take the temperature of the room. Anybody can take the temperature of the room. Anybody can look at their watch and realize it's late. Anybody can feel the hunger pains and say, it's, I'm hungry. But there's not many people that can change the temperature of the room. 
There's not many people that can not just observe the issue, but they can begin to solve the issue. A lot of times in relationships, I stand in the observer mode many times where I can just observe the problems, observe the, the issues in my world, observe the issues in my family, observe the issues on my team. And I'm like, Jesus, would you touch them, please? You know, Jesus, would you heal them? Jesus, would you do something about that person. I cannot, could you believe what they said to me? Can you believe what they did, Jesus? Like, why don't you like zap them like a lightning bolt, you know? And I won't tell anybody I prayed that. You know, they'll just think it happened. God, why don't you do that? And Jesus is saying, no, why don't you go from observing Brandon to participating, getting involved. And there's nothing that'll change your relationships than whenever it starts going from from, from me to we, whenever you stop observing and start participating, stop being passive and start being active in the situation. That's, that's, that's what Jesus was trying to teach them, that, that the, the relationships, the, the impossibilities in your life, jump in with both feet. Don't just expect this to be a Jesus show. Don't just expect it, well, if it's going to be Jesus, you do it. No, Jesus is looking at them and saying, if it's going to be, you do it. It's powerful. Reminds me of a story that I heard about this couple that were going through marriage issues and the husband was being passive and not really responding, not really doing anything, just kind of you know, living in observation mode. So it got so bad they went to counseling. And the counselor's talking to them together and he just realized he's not getting through to this guy. You know, he is being passive. He is not taking his responsibility as a man. He's not leading his wife. He's not seeing who he is. And, and so the, the, the counselor just gets fed up with it and just walks over to the woman and just gives her the biggest kiss, just right on the mouth, you know. And, he, and the counselor says, sir, I'm telling you, this is what your wife needs. And he says, well, doc, I can bring her here Tuesdays and Thursdays if you want me to. Like... <laughs> that brother was in observation mode you know he was just saying well you know somebody else will take care of it somebody else will do it no I, I want us to get in participation mode so so what's the issues at work what's the issues in your family what's the issues um in in your life what's the issues in your marriage stop just asking jesus to take care of it all and you jump in and make a difference you say, well, I don't have enough. Well, we're about to see what happens when you don't have enough. But the, it's not about you being enough. It's about you being part of the process so that you can understand that God is enough. If, he, you, if, he, if we can be part of the process with him. It's like a story that I saw um, that, that was, that, that was uh, kind of one of those viral stories that happened in the news just a couple years ago. You may have heard about it. It was... There was a man that was uh, going... A, a teenager that was, had a desire to get a job... I believe it was at Chick-fil-A, and he wanted to look good for his interview. So he went to Target, and he found an associate, and he was looking for a clip-on tie. He didn't know how to tie a tie, so he was looking for a clip-on tie. And I think I actually have a picture of this. And so, so the, the employee, instead of just saying, we don't sell clip-on ties at Target, instead of just saying that, the employee goes, he, he takes a tie, 
And he says, which one do you like? He picks out the tie, and then he goes and he takes him aside, and he teaches the young man how to tie the tie. And he puts it on him, and he, tell, and he starts telling tell me about your interview. Tell me what you're going to be going. You know, help me. And, 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 and before long, all these associates were gathered around this young man telling him, you can do it. Hey, you know, you're going to be awesome. You know, here's what you do. Here's how you present yourself. And, and uh, th- that's what I'm talking about. I, and, and ended up, the guy got the job, everybody. You know, it was, I think there were like 500,000 people that, that shared it on Facebook. That Chick-fil-A would have been in trouble if they didn't give that guy a job. But what, what is that? What is that? That's the difference between just observing, oh, we don't have that here. And saying, you know what? Let me help you. Let me give you what I have. What I've learned is that my job is not to fill up someone else's cup because I've realized I do not have enough to fill up your life. My job is rather to empty my cup. It's not to fill up yours, but it's to empty mine. It's to give my talent, to give my ability, to give my know-how, to give my ability to tie. You know what? I can't do it all, but I can tie your tie. That's participation mode. That's what Jesus is wanting us to do, to get involved in. Mark reading on in this passage, so Jesus involves them in the process. Verse 37, he said to the, and they said to him, it would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give them to eat? So they're trying to figure it out naturally, which is what we do. He said, how many loaves do you have? Now I love this. He said, go and see. When they found out, he said, five and two fish. What you'll find with Jesus is he's not interested in you having all of the resources necessary. He's just, resource, he's just interested in you giving what you have. Because what you have is enough. What you have is enough. I want to tell somebody that what you have is enough. You may look at your life, look at your talents, look at your wallet, look at your ability, look at your history. And you say, I am not enough. And God says, what you have is just enough. Moses, the rod in your hand, drop it. It's enough. Everything that you need to do, what God's calling you to do, is already in your hands. You're enough if you'll trust him. And it says, so Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. See, see, now they're participating. They're handing it out. They're distributing, distributing it. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. How many basketfuls? 12 basketfuls, remember that, of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So there were 10, 15,000 people in this. So here's some principles I want to talk to you about. So, so we talked about going from observation to participation. Here's the second thing. Go from individualization, and try your best to spell that. My Kentucky spelling does not work very good on that. The spell checks, I don't know what you're, have you ever tried to spell something and the spell check's just like, I'm clueless. I don't even know what you're trying to spell. <laughs> I wish some of you could read some of my notes sometimes. To collaboration. Individualization to collaboration. In other words, it's all about me or collaborating. You ever been someone who were around someone that allowed you to collaborate with them? You ever collaborated with people in your life? That's what Jesus is looking at these band of ordinary men. And he said, hey guys, why don't you just collaborate? 
Why don't, you, why don't you forget that it's them and us, us and them? Why don't you start collaborating with people in your world? You know, it's kind of like the, our, our phones today. It's, they're, um, you know, you, it has a, has a mode, a selfie mode. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So this is, this is the selfie right here. This is the selfie. And then if I put it in this mode, I can see you. Take a picture. You guys look good this morning. <laughs> so if I put it in this mode, it's all about me. If I put it in this mode, it's all about others. I, 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 it gets dangerous whenever we are just in one frame of mind that excludes the larger picture, excludes the rest of the world. I, I just had to show you this. I saw the funniest um, thing this week, and you just have to check it out. It's all about selfies, so take a look. Look around you. Everybody's just walking around. Taking a photo of yourself? <laughs> they call it a selfie? I can't even say the word without sweating. I can't stand the word. I call it taking a lonely. <laughs> Do you know how alone you gotta be? That you can't find anybody to take a photo? that you got 838 photos of yourself in your bathroom? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Is that not awesome? Oh, it's so funny. It's all about me. <laughs> but what I found is that it's, if you're in individualization mode, there are just some things in life we'll never achieve, we'll never accomplish. That, that you, there are some things, some mountains that you can never climb alone. There are some things you just literally cannot do all by yourself. I love watching documentaries and especially documentaries about climbing and climbing these huge mountains and Everest and the team that's involved. And, and nobody, no, nobody just says, well, I'm just going to go and I'm going to do it alone. Everyone realizes it takes a team. It takes a group of people. It takes a brother. It takes a sister. It takes people going together. And I want you to know, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter how hard we pray. It doesn't matter how, how, how much we work at it. We could study harder. We could try to save more. We could try to do all of these things within ourselves. And at the end of the day, our five loaves and two fishes will never be adequate to do what God's called us to do. We have to have collaboration. We have to have some people in our world where we can say, can we work together? Can, we, can I help you? Can, we, can, can you? can you pray with me? Can we do this together? Because we cannot do it all by ourselves. That's why we have small groups around here. That's why we started small groups. Because I understand this, that, that, that what we need to do, we can only do it if we are together. What your calling and my calling and our calling together can only be achieved if God will allow, allow strategic people to be placed in our path so that we can make a difference. And this is what God's word says. It's so, so clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. It simply says this, is that two are better than one. So two are better than one because they have good return on their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. And pity... But pity to anyone who falls and has no one 
to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You need and I need those relationships in our lives. If we're too busy to have those relationships, then we're too busy. If we're too busy to, have, to take time to collaborate with people, if we take time to collaborate with people, when, when me becomes we, it changes everything. When me becomes we, it changes everything about our lives. It changes everything. Whenever it goes from my life to this is out, my, your problem to this is our problem, this is, it's unbelievable. I, I can hear it in, in some people's uh, talk, especially as the church started. We're about a year and a half old as a church. And when we first started the church, everyone said, your church. <laughs> Everyone that talked to me, your church is this, and your church is that, and your church is this. And, and, and I just, now people just say it without even realizing what to say it in the conversation, but it's like there's something in me that smiles whenever they say, our church, or my church, or what are they saying? It's, this is, this is collaboration. This is not just individualization. This is, this is, we're in this together. That's what Jesus was trying to do with the disciples. God, it's not just about you. It's about us together. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not, but it means we're in this together. That means whenever one person's cold, I'm going to help you. And when one person is sick, I'm going to help you. When one person has issues, I'm going to... Like, we are collaborating. I'm not just standing at a distance. One more, one more perspective shift that I saw in this story. And this, is, this one is, is absolutely huge. Jesus was trying to teach them an incredible thing. As you remember, they were both tired, right? They were, they, Jesus was emotionally tired. They were physically tired from ministry. And here's the third shift that he was trying to teach them. To going from being valued to adding value. <laughs> he was trying to teach them to, in their relationships, in their impossibility, that they need to go to a place where they're not all about being valued, but they are all about adding value to others. What, 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 what I imagine in my mind's eye, the reason that they come to Jesus and said, Hey, 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 shh, just if I could have your attention one second. It's kind of late. And uh, I bet all the people are hungry. <laughs> I would imagine in my, in my own, I imagine they were hungry they were tired. They were ready to get this show on the road, you know. They were, they were, they were putting their needs on people. I've, I've learned that in leadership, that a lot of times when people say, everyone is this or everybody thinks that. I've learned. Now I ask a question, who? Who said it? <laughs> like, who? And it's like one person. Oh, well, that's not everyone, right? But, but who said that, you know? And, and I could just see these disciples doing that. Oh, everybody's hungry and everybody's tired and... And Jesus is, you know, knowing their thoughts. He's like, it's you that's hungry and it's you that's tired. And what, what they're doing, they're, 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 they're transposing their own need for being valued, for, 
for having rest, for, for needing something. They're transposing it on all the people. And Jesus is trying to teach them a key mental shift in the area of their relationships. He said this, that you need to go from a mode of saying, I have to be valued, to a mode of saying, I'm here to add value. He says, I know you're tired. I know you're, I know you're hungry. But here's what I want you to do. If you're going to be participating in the miracle that I want to do, I want you to understand that your life and your relationships can never be all about you getting value. Your, your family valuing you, your team valuing you, your company valuing you, your friends valuing you. If that's your perspective, you're not going to have very many friends because it's just all about me, 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 me. And Jesus is saying, I want you to change your mindset and say, it's not about me being valued, but it's about me adding value to people in my world. That, that it's not about me getting value from my friends, getting value from my church, getting value. It's like a me monster. Value me. I need you know, me. Tell me about me. It's all about me. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to flip the script. How can I add value? And I, I realize I don't do this very well. I think I do this better in my professional career than I do in my family. I, 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 make a, I, make a, I, I usually say it out loud to myself before I walk into a meeting with somebody. I always say, God, help me to be a blessing to this person in this conversation. That's usually before I walk into any meeting, I usually say it out loud, God, help me to be a blessing. Help me to, to, to add value today. In this 10-minute meeting or 30-minute meeting or this lunch, whatever it is, whatever the situation is, help me. I'm here to be a blessing. But many times I come home from a tired day and I say, I'm here to be blessed, you know? I'm tired, I'm weary, it's a, you know, I've, I've, I've added value you know, all day long, at the, and I need somebody to add value, add value, add value give me value, 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 value. I need value. You know? and, and, and what Jesus is trying to say, you, you need to flip the script, that it's, it's not about living a life of trying to get value from others, but rather continually going to your mind and realizing my value comes from God and my responsibility in any arena that God places me in is to be the person that's adding value. To be the person that's being a blessing, whether it's to my kids, to my wife, to my friends, to the church that I serve, to the teams that I'm a part of. Everywhere that I go, it's not, do I, am I finding, too many times we find our identity from other people. We find our value from other people. I need to come here and rest. I need, to, I need to find value. And if you find your value from other people, then you're going to try to add value to people with the wrong motives. You're going to say, look at me. Did you see what I did? That was my idea. You know, that was me. Give value to me. Get, I'm, you know, I'm here. If you, don't, if you don't value me, I'm not going to be here very long. And Jesus is saying, you've, you, you've missed the point. Because you have to realize it's all about adding value and not being valued. If Proverbs chapter 11, 25 says, The generous will prosper. And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I've learned in my life that the refreshing doesn't come like I think it should come. Like a lot of times I think, I'm going to go on a vacation and it's going to refresh me. And it's a wonderful thing. But then I walk back to the same issues that I had before the vacation. And I realize, you know what, the refreshing many times that I'm looking for in my life is not found through individualization. isn't found through me finding value it's, it's, and it's, it's found in me adding value to other people. 
And then God begins to refresh my life. I believe we all go through times of famines of appreciation in our life. And I want to encourage someone today. Don't leave a relationship just because you're not feeling valued in that relationship. If you're in a marriage, you're in a friendship, you're in a relationship, this church, your teams at work, if God's put you there, don't you leave just because you don't feel valued. I believe we all go through famines of value in our life so that we can understand that God can refresh us as we refresh others. So stay. Dig your heels down deep and add value, disciples. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Here's some truths about friendships that I want to give you today. Number one, we all need friends in faith. We all need friends in faith. There's people in our lives, friends... That they're not friends in faith, if you will. That, that we all need friends in faith. Not just people that are acquaintances. Not just workplace friends. Not just friends that are part of our family. But we need friends in faith. We need people that can stand toe-to-toe with us. Shoulder-to-shoulder with us. And mean it when they say they're praying for us. Mean it whenever they're, they're, they give us hard advice about our relationships. Give us hard advice. And, and we need to listen to those people. See, the disciples were friends in faith. They weren't just 12 random people. But they were 12 random people that were centered on Jesus Christ. And when they got around him, God put this team, this dynamic team together. That when they collaborated, when they worked together, miracles happened. And you need that, and I need that. And this is what we want to be as a church. We want to help you find friends in faith. Do not leave this day without taking a minute to get connected in a group. Taking a minute to get connected with some people. Why? Because we all need some friends in faith. We all need some people that can help us. People that can stand with us. That's what Ecclesiastes 4.8 says. There was a man that was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So isn't that amazing that you can have wealth. You can have all of these things that seemingly uh, were like the, the, the heart of life. But Jesus says if you don't have a friend in faith. Or God's word says if you don't have a friend in faith. It really doesn't matter what else you have. A lot of times we just have friends that we've just accepted without thinking about the people we've accepted. I, I used to, um, on Facebook specifically, I always told people I was like Jesus. I'd accept everybody. And uh, I, I have so many friends that they're called friends. I don't have a clue who they are, that they're connected. And, and now I don't really do that as much anymore. But I would just accept anybody. I would just accept, 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 accept. And, 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 and I think sometimes in life, it's okay on Facebook, I guess. But you know what? In life, you need to reject some friend requests along the way. <laughs> Take a minute and evaluate who your three closest relationships are right now. Have, are those people intentional relationships? Are they friends in faith? Are those people just... Well, this is my friend from school that I graduated with. This is, this is somebody that just happens to call me every day. This is, are we intentional about who's coming into our life or we just, it's just there? You know? Because here's the second truth I want to tell you. is that If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends 
and I'll show you your future. So if you want to have a successful marriage and all your friends around you have marriages that are all falling apart, all centered on things that aren't of God, all focused on things that are ungodly and wrong and cheating and all kinds of mess, I promise you, you're not going to ever have the marriage that God has put in your life if you don't have some couples in your life that are friends in faith. That's the friends in faith is what allows us to do like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You need some friends that will stand with you in the fire. You don't just need fair weather friends. You, don't, you need some friends that will pray with you. You need somebody you can call when you get a bad report. Somebody that you can pray with. Someone that you can walk with. Someone that you can talk with. Someone that you can process life through. That's a friend in faith. Because God's word gives us a stark, stark um, challenge. It simply says this in Proverbs thirteen twenty: He that walks with wise men shall be wise. It says, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So here's the reality. All you have to do to be destroyed is just hang out with the wrong people. That's it. You don't even have to be a fool to be destroyed. All you have to do is hang out with fools. It doesn't even say you'll become a fool. It just says you'll be, you'll be destroyed. So the question is, who, who is in your life? Who are the people that are circling your life? Are they friends in faith. Back to the disciples. Here's the next point I want to uh, make this morning is that miracles and breakthroughs were waiting for the disciples to become a team. Miracles and breakthroughs were waiting on the disciples to become a team. And I'll say this, miracles and breakthroughs are just waiting in your life to find some friends in faith that you can do life with. I mean it, miracles will happen. You say, seriously, miracles will happen if I go to a you know, sisterhood women's group on a Tuesday night? Miracles will happen in your life if you allow yourself to be joined with some friends in faith. Because remember, your five loaves, two fishes are never going to be enough to do what God's called you to do. You need some people along the way. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There I am with them. A lot of times we've made Christianity just a, a single player sport. Jesus says, no, 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 no. My promise to be among you is we're two or three. That I'm waiting for some unity to take place. First, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, I love this, this stuck out to me so strong this week. All of you together are whose body? <laughs> whose body? We are Christ's body. How powerful is Christ? How strong is Christ? How wise is Christ? How, how much impossibility stands in the way of Christ? Absolutely nothing. But we're not Christ's body individually. We're Christ's body when we come together. So if all we do is come to church on Sunday and come to church on Sunday and come to church on Sunday, but we don't ever allow God to put some... Are those friends in faith in our life? God says, you're on your own. But if you'll link arms, it's Christ's body. We talked um, a few moments ago about the number of baskets. And here's the last point I want to make is that the selfless acts of the team met the needs of others and resulted in blessings for themselves. The selfless acts of the team met the needs of others 
and resulted in blessings for themselves. You know why a lot of times we don't add value to people? Because we think nobody's going to add, like, if I give my whole heart to this marriage, he's not giving anything. She's not giving anything. And I'm expected to give everything. Are you crazy? And what we end up doing, especially when we've been hurt in life, we hedge our bets when it comes to people. We hedge our bets when it comes to churches. We hedge our bets because we say, I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me like they hurt me. And those pains from the past keep us from ever being able to truly go all in. And what we find, Jesus said, if you'll bless others, how many baskets were left at the end? How many disciples were there? Twelve. How many baskets were left over at the end? I think it's so interesting. The word doesn't say there were six baskets. It doesn't say there were eight baskets. It doesn't say there were nine baskets. It says specifically there were twelve baskets left over. So after the miracle took place, after they were willing to get involved and get invested and not be about all me, but be about we, God says, you know what? Everybody had a basket of blessings that they took home with them. In other words, I'll take care of you if you'll take care of others. You say, well, I'll, take, I'll do that for them at work if they ain't giving me nothing. I'm, I'm keeping my options. I'm doing, I, I, it's all about me. No, if you'll take care of wherever God's placed you and you'll give it everything that you have, you'll jump in both feet, you'll participate in your marriage, you'll participate with your team, you'll participate, you'll give it all God says, hey, you're gonna, never going to walk away alone because I'll make sure you got a basket full of blessing. And what happens next in Mark 6, and you can read it on your own this week, the next thing that happens is they get in a storm. And the faith that they needed in the storm, the faith that they needed to walk through this next impossibility, they got all freaked out. They missed the whole point. <laughs> But Jesus walks to them and, and, and gets on their boat and says, Guys, why were you afraid? Did you forget about the blessings that were with you? Did you forget about the miracle that I just did? So could it be that the things that we need to get through the storms of life is found whenever we are willing to not be about me, but be about blessing other people in our world?